Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and a good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is Wednesday. It is just gone 10 past 2 and it is another great, wonderful, beautiful day here in the High Felt of Johannesburg and looking forward to spending the next 45 minutes or so with you and sharing some thoughts on Judaism 101.9. Today is an amazing day actually as are I guess all days but when we come to this time in the year, um, we focus already on uh, the build-up to Adar, to Days of Joy. Pesach is not that far away, and uh, we really are getting into the uh, real. We've uh, kind of ended the beginning of the year. We're now into the year, of course, today being the end of the month of January, and um, it's kind of uh, things get rolling from here. Well, today, the 21st day of Shvat, is a significant date in history, and perhaps for a bit of an ignominious kind of a reason. Um, you know, we're all caught up in the unfortunate and terrible scourge of anti-Semitism that has been prevalent in the world since October the 7th in the most inexplicable fashion, and uh, things happening regarding anti-Semitism, and it, it's no comfort to us, I guess, but uh, we just have to know that uh, we've been there before and we've done that. Um, this is not the first time anti-Semitism has reared its ugly head. Um, it seems to be always there. It seems to always be simmering beneath the surface. Unfortunately, when it does come out, it is something that uh, makes us all startled. And we would have thought that after all of these years, it wouldn't have been around anymore. But if we just think about this, the significance of today in the history of anti-Semitism. Today was a day on which a certain period of anti-Semitism kind of turned around in a way. And um, we hope and pray that that will happen everywhere. And of course, this might give us some hope. The only problem is that the anti-Semitism that was around that I'm talking about was there for close on 400 years. And what was that? Well, in England, King Edward I, in the year 1290, actually expelled all Jews. Jews weren't allowed to take up residence. They weren't allowed to live in England. Imagine that from 1290 right up until 1657. 1290 to 1657. Well, that's roughly, what, 360 years or so. That Jews weren't allowed to live in England. Never mind Germany, never mind Spain, never mind all these other places, but England. And in fact, on this day, which corresponded to the 4th of February in 1657, the famous Oliver Cromwell, who was the Lord Protector of England, issued the first residence permit to a Jew. His name was Luis Carvajal, Carvajal. Um, and that was the first Jew who was permitted legally to return to live in England, and that was since the expulsion of all the Jews from England by King Edward I in the year 20, 1290. Sorry, The edict of expulsion had actually been overturned in the previous year in 1656, but the first Jew was readmitted and given a permit on this day in 1657. So the idea of Jews being ousted of Jews not having a place to live, 
of Jews being told that they don't belong in civil societies around the world was there in all its finery, if you wish, or in all its uh, terrible, terrible uh, attitudes in those 360-odd years in England. Today also marks, in 1689, so just a few years later, um, the date of birth of Rabbi Moshe Galante in a city called Tzfas, which you may have heard of in Tzfafid, in the north of Israel. Yes, north of Israel also under the spotlight lately. But we've got to remember that that part of the world gave birth to and gave rise to many, many great Jewish sages that are incredible uh, people from Talmudic times all the way through to a much more modern era who are uh, buried, interred in that area. That was where they practiced. That was where they preached. That was where they taught. And Rabbi Moshe Galanti was born in Tzfas in 1620, and he later moved to Yerushalayim where he founded the large yeshiva. He was the grandson of the famous Rabbi Moshe Galanti I, who was a student himself of Rabbi Yosef Karo. Now, Rabbi Moshe Galanti was the uh, first rabbi endowed with the title Rishon Letzion, which is a title that's traditionally conferred on the Swadi chief rabbis of Israel right up until today. And it was deemed fitting for him because of his profound love and esteem with which he was held by the Sephardi community in Yerushalayim. He actually authored a number of famous works, Elif uh, Hamagen, which includes a thousand response on various topics, Par Paraot Lechachma, commentary on the Torah, and Sevach Hashlamim on the Talmud. And amongst his students was Rabbi Chizkiya de Silva, the Rabbi of Hebron and author of the Pri Chadash, printed in the standard edition, as it is, of the Code of Jewish Law. So, a little bit about today in Jewish history, great people being born on this day, and great events that happened on this day. If we just look a little bit forward and we look at tomorrow, tomorrow is a yard site of two very famous people, one of them in our lifetime, who I would like to spend a little bit more time talking about. And the first is the passing of the Kotzke Rebbe. The Kotzke Rebbe passed away on Echof Bey Shvat, on the 22nd of Shvat, which is tomorrow in 1859. Um, he lived from 1787 to 1859. He was a renowned Hasidic teacher and a forerunner of the Ger Hasidic dynasty and others. He's often quoted for his sharp and incisive mind, um, Kotzke Rebbe. Um, tomorrow is his yard site. And then, of course, tomorrow is the yard site, the passing in 1988 of the Rebbe Chaim who was born in 1901. She was the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wife, and she passed away on the 22nd of Shvat in 5748 in 1988. Um, we will chat a little bit more about the Rebbe about um, her, her life, her legacy, and the important lessons that she taught us all um, in the second part of uh, this um, of the show today. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. Great to be back with you. Yes, this is Judaism 101.9. It's Rabbi Michael Katz here with you. We're talking about the importance of these days. We mentioned yesterday and, let, and today. Let's talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow, as we said, your site of the Rebetzin. Rebetzin Chaya Mushka Schneerson who was the wife for so many years of the Lubavitcher Rebbe until her passing in 1988 on tomorrow, 
22nd of Shvat to your site. May interest you to note that there are everybody famously knows about the gathering, the kinos, as it's called, the kinos ashluchim, which takes place for uh, the men for shluchim from around the world, Lubavitcher Rebbe's emissaries around the world together in New York for a grand, huge banquet and a big event and a conference that takes place towards the end of every secular, secular year, usually around the time just before uh, Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Um, that's when it takes place. Well, on Chofbei Shvat, on 22nd of Shvat, there is an equally large, I guess, gathering for women. Uh, the women get together in honor of Rebetzin, in honor of Rebetzin Chaim Mushkesh Nielsen, whose yard site is, as we mentioned, tomorrow. And so that conference starts uh, today and tomorrow and continues over the weekend with a grand banquet all of its own um, taking place on Sunday. Now, uh, who was the Rebetzin Chaim Mushke? Well, many, many people know that the Rebbe was married actually to the daughter of the previous Rebbe. Uh, usually, or very often in Hasidic dynasties, um, the mantle the, of leadership of the uh, dynasty is handed down from father to son, and not so with the Rebbe, who was married to the previous Rebbe's daughter, so he was the previous Rebbe's son-in-law, um, and um, he didn't only take over uh, the mantle of leadership of Chabad in 1950 or 51 uh, because he was the son-in-law, but because he was this outstanding intellect, this incredible uh, individual. Um, and therefore, we have to say, being married to the Rebbe Tzimchayim Mushka, she was his other half. And not only that, but many of the great decisions and many of the great features of the Rebbe's life and his ability to do what he did for world Jewry everywhere, um, <clears throat> the benefits of which are being felt today, were um, in a large manner, in a large way, due to the influence of his wife, of the Rebetzin Chayamushka. Not just because she came from that same lineage, not just because she was the daughter of the previous Rebbe, but because she really had this huge intellect, this huge ability and um, uh, direction, and uh, one of the incredibly, incredibly uh, smart people of uh, the era of the age, <clears throat> and yet keeping such a low profile, um, maintaining in every possible fashion what is known as Tzniyut. Now, Tzniyut often gets a bad name. We'll talk about it perhaps a little bit later on in the show. Tzniyut sometimes gets a bad name because it seems to be this um, boxing in of um, people, and particularly when it comes to women, that it doesn't enable them to... Um, sort of live freely, um, show their bodies, etc., 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 their hair. Um, but we're not talking about that aspect of tzniot. Tzniot is um, multifaceted. It means a modesty. Modesty doesn't only mean in the way that we dress. Modesty actually means in the way that we behave. And this modest person, and uh, completely humble, um, which is a byword, I guess, for modesty, um, complete humility, complete humbleness. This was the way she lived and behaved from her very birth. Now, if we go right back to the time that she was born, she was born on the 25th of Adar in 1901, and she was the second of three daughters of the Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok, 
and his wife, Rebetzin Dino, only had three daughters. Um, she was uh, the second of the three daughters. Um, and when she was born, her grandfather, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, was traveling abroad, and he sent a telegram to her father saying, Mazel Tov on the birth of your daughter. If she's not yet been named, she should be called Chaya Mushka. He actually gave her the name Chaya Mushka, the name of the wife of the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, who interestingly was also, Tzemach Tzedek was also Menachem Mendel. And so you had the Chaya Mushka, Menachem Mendel, chorus, uh, corresponding names similar to the Rebbe and his wife um, all the way back then. The Rebetzin, growing up in her father's home and in that surrounding, she absorbed the purity and the holiness that surrounded her, both in the house of her grandfather and her father. Now, this was a young lady who um, <clears throat> grew up kind of on the move. Uh, the family, due to anti-Semitism, once again, that cropped up, first of all, in Russia, um, had to move to Rostov, where she spent a long time and particularly nursed her grandfather um, um, while he was ailing and she was always at his side. And then, of course, becoming not the right-hand man, but the right-hand woman of the previous rabbi in many of his endeavors in um, fighting for Jewish causes, for Judaism and so on, he regarded her as having the discretion the intelligence and the ability to um, actually do things behind the scenes uh, for him, for what he was trying to accomplish as the Lubavitcher Rebbe then, as well as for Hasidim everywhere, all over the world, in an incredibly, incredibly talented and beautiful and perfect way. The name Chaya Mushka, of course, um, is a combination of uh, two words. Of two names, Chaya meaning life, Mushka is uh, like musk, like a um, a perfume. So it's a fragrant life or life of fragrance, uh, which is really really fitting for what Chaya Mushka Shneerson, previous the the the, the Rebbe's uh, wife's name and what she stood for. She um, was an integral part in many, many great occasions, not the least of which was that she actually was allowed to go into exile together with her father when her father was exiled um, in uh, 1927 and uh, was then released on the 12th of Tammuz. She not only accompanied him there, but um, she actually was um, uh, instrumental in his release and she was in fact the one who brought out the good news that he was going to be released on the 12th of Tammuz when that actually happened and it was in the autumn of 1927 on the day of the Simchas Torah that the Schleson family then left the Soviet Union and had to move to Riga in Latvia. Um, <clears throat> before she left Russia she actually had to become engaged to marry the Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. They were cousins, uh, not first cousins, but they were cousins, they were related. They both carried the name Schneerson. He being uh, the incredibly um, incredible soul, incredible uh, neshama, incredible individual, who was the son of Rabbi um, Levi Yitzchak, um, his father, who also was exiled, who was the Rebbe of the Katrinoslav. Now, um, the wedding took place actually in Warsaw, in Poland. Um, so we think about this 
um, moving community. The wedding takes place in Poland. It was a great event. Um, many, many of our Chabad wedding customs are taken from that great wedding. And of course, the wedding had been delayed because there was hope that the Rebbe's parents who were exiled, as we said, would be able to uh, make it to the wedding. But unfortunately, it wasn't so. And uh, the uh, Rebbe's parents had a separate celebration in their place of exile, hundreds of miles away. Um, they had a huge wedding um, a reception of their own, although they were unable to actually be there. Now, it was um, the Rebbetson who really stood behind the Rebbe every step of the way. Um, later on in Berlin, where the Rebbe was studying, the Rebbetson played an incredible role. And then, of course, when the Rebbe finally together with his rabbits and settled in the United States in 1941 uh, when they boarded the ship that took them uh, from Marseille in France via Lisbon to the United States of America in 1941. And then their eventual arrival there was the beginning of a brand new era <coughs> that on the 28th of Sivan, when they arrived on the shores of America, that they actually settled where her father had settled in 1940 and became instrumental in every activity of Chabad, not only in New York, uh, where they'd settled, but, of course, reaching out to around the world. Um, the Rebetz and Chaim Mushke carried the mantle of her revered and exalted position, as we mentioned before, in the most humble and unpretentious fashion. As we mentioned, the idea of tzniyut, of modesty, um, she always fulfilled, as we're told, by the psalmist, by King David in the Tehillim, the entire honor of a king's daughter is within, um, this was really the epitome of the Rebetzin. She was known in Crown Heights the way that she would um, talk about, and I was personally able to experience this once going into a store and um, being asked, a couple of us standing in the, in the store there, if anybody was going down President Street to please drop this at the uh, Rabbitson's house. She was known there and was written, Mrs. Schneerson from President Street. That was um, the way that she uh, spoke about herself, not expecting any accolades for being the Rebbe's wife. Very, very low-key. Many, many people uh, didn't even know in the neighborhood what she looked like, um, who she was, if she passed them in the street. It was... Um, an incredible image of a woman with a more than famous and um, incredibly honorable and honored husband, uh, the way that she behaved in her way of absolute modesty, living up to the idea of the life of an aromatic spice, um, as she actually was named. Now, um, since the passing of Robertson Chaim Mushka, many, many Girls are named Chayamushka after her, and uh, the Rebbe kind of favoured many, many times uh, the idea of utilising her name, carrying on her legacy, uh, living up to the things that she stood for. And of course, then when she passed away in 1988 after a brief illness, and her levaya, her funeral took place um, towards and at the Chabad Cemetery in Queens, there were thousands and thousands of people who attended, giving her um, the kind of um, funeral of royalty, um, although it had been organized and everything happened in such a, a short period of time, such a short space of time. She's interred there, of course, 
uh, right opposite the Ohel, right at the Ohel of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. If anybody's ever been there, of course, you all know that people stop and, of course, say a prayer at the gravesite of the Rebetzin as well, of Rebetzin Chaya Mushka. So the idea of tzniut, the idea of modesty, of humility, of humbleness, humbleness in behavior, humbleness and modesty and absolute integrity here through and through in everything that she did was the great and incredible legacy of this brilliant woman who um, we were privileged to have had as our Rebetzin and, of course, became known as the Rebetzin, uh, fulfilling that role um, for so many people around the world. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. And while we were talking about the issues of tzniut, of modesty, as we said, a modesty is not only to do with dress, and of course modesty is not only to do with women. Um, had the question just the other day from uh, some people in our community and outside of the community who felt that, uh, you know, there was nothing wrong perhaps coming to shul and dabbling together with a minion for men to be wearing short pants. Um, is this appropriate? Isn't it appropriate? Perhaps um, while we're thinking about things of tzniyot, maybe just to throw this idea out there. Um, it seems to be that certainly since COVID um, and thereafter, a lot of the ways of dress, uh, the modes of dress of many, many people have diminished, have dropped. You see people attending funerals um, not dressed in uh, what they would have perhaps worn a few years ago. We see people dressing down um, for all sorts of occasions. And, of course, it plays to the tune of, you know, what is much more important is what is inside rather than what is displayed on the outside. Uh, what is much more important is the fact that I'm there. And undoubtedly that is true. Yes, it is beautiful that people are uh, going to shul. It is beautiful that people do attend a shiva house or um, any other special spiritual occasion and show up and are there. Of course, that is important. But there is something to be said for dress. And I think that if we could just borrow an image from the Torah itself, you know, the uh, high priest on uh, special occasions dressed up in certain garments. And why did he have to dress up in those certain garments? And perhaps each one of them had a special, of course, each one of them had a special meaning, not only from a physical point of view, but from a mystical, Kabbalistic point of view as well. Um, so what was the purpose of this dressing up? Perhaps the best way of looking at it is kind of like if we were to think about, if you were to visit a royal palace, you would not expect the um, guards at the palace gates to be dressed in slip slops and uh, short pants and t-shirts. Um, they need to reflect kind of the image of the royalty that they're protecting. So how much more so when we think about the Kohen God, all the high priest standing at the palace gates, as it were, of the king of kings, of the most royal of all, <coughs> that he needed to be appropriately attired within keeping of what was deemed fitting for the royal house. Now, if we think about it, in a way, this is what we are doing when we go to shul as well, when we're involved in a shul service, when we're attending something spiritual, when we're involved in something of a um, lofty Jewish nature, whether it is, God forbid, a funeral, whether it is prayers in a house of mourning, there is something about the respectfulness of the way that we attire, the way we dress. 
it's not only about showing up, but it's certainly about the fact that we represent something. We represent Judaism. We represent something Jewish. You know, you wouldn't, I don't think you would want your uh, rabbi to come in shorts and a T-shirt to uh, attend a, a funeral or to come and uh, visit uh, someone who's not well in hospital or uh, uh, do a wedding service in that way. I don't think you would expect that. You certainly wouldn't uh, perhaps be that comfortable if you went to a doctor's office. Well, today, uh, doctors are wearing their scrubs and so on, which is uh, another um, invention of COVID, I guess. But um, <coughs> you wouldn't want your doctor or your um, dentist or anybody that you went to see if you had made an appointment with a lawyer, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to perhaps see him in his office in shorts and a t-shirt. We're also attending something that is of a formal nature and it's kind of a mindset. It's placing ourselves into that framework. So yes, the words modesty perhaps don't necessarily apply in the meaning of modesty, but it is the idea of a certain um, respect for the space, a certain respect for the God that we are coming to plead with, that we're coming to represent, of the type of image of being a priest, of being involved in that type of an environment that is of paramount importance to each and every one of us. And so therefore, yes, when we're going to pray, halacha, Jewish law, tells us that we should be properly attired. We should uh, have our legs covered. Yes, men as well. We should um, perhaps even put on another garment. It talks about the fact that we should get dressed up. It has become a thing perhaps now that you even dress down for sure. You know, you'll go home from, from having worn a suit perhaps to work, which doesn't happen that often anymore, I guess. And you'll dress or you'll change into your uh, more uh, weekend kind of clothing, your Sunday kind of clothes. Um, we're not, when we go to shul or when we're involved at a funeral or a prayer house, we're not um, going to the beach. We're not sitting by the pool. We are involved in something that uh, commands and needs a little bit of respect. And while our clothing are not the most essential ingredient, it certainly tells us something about our mindset and our ability to show that respect. And it all speaks to these laws of tzniut, which is a huge part of Judaism. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So yes, well, tonight and tomorrow is Chof Bei Shvat. It is the 22nd day of Shvat. The yard site of the previous, of the, I keep on saying the previous, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe's daughter, who was uh, married to the Rebbe, was the Rebbetson of Chabad for so many years. Um, her modesty, her integrity, her intelligence, her brilliance, um, and her strong backing for her husband and for everything that he stood for um, was indeed a message for us just in regular behavior. How are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to behave? How should we position ourselves in this world? It's not always about the bright lights. It's not always about the accolades. It's not always about the popularity. It's not always about being in the front line of activity so that everybody can see us and everybody can think about us and talk about us and so on. But it is about a quiet strength of modesty, a quiet strength 
of the backbone of the Jewish people um, through people like the Rebetzin Chayamushka Shneerson that we perhaps have to live up to and to emulate. It comes across in things that are a little bit more refined, perhaps, than just the actual application of Jewish law. It is something a little bit more hidden, something a little bit more secret, something a little bit more in the realm of tzniot, of modesty, that each and every one of us should think about and should try to emulate her great and wonderful example. So hopefully we will be able to do so, especially from tomorrow and from then on in. Think about the power of the day to be connected to, even if it's in our mode of behavior, to be connected to the Rebetzin, imitating and emulating how she went about her life and the great and incredible things that she was able to accomplish and um, to have established for every one of us um, on a regular basis. Look forward to a great rest of the week and uh, wish you that as well. And a great Shabbat, Shabbos up ahead. Be back with you same time, same place. Please God next week on another episode of Judaism on a 1.9.